bringing a whole new feeling and sense into the air around us, the atmosphere, changing that spiritual atmosphere. Lord, we have an awareness of your angels here right now, of your Holy Spirit here within us. And Lord Jesus, you here among us. Thank you for your anointing, you, your presence on the worship team this morning and upon all of us, helping us to worship you from our heart, from our spirit, from deep down, expressing our love to you from deep down inside. Lord, we cast the cares of this life upon you because you care for us. We humble ourselves before you, realizing we can't do it in our own strength, and we look to you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated, and my sister, Christine Beth, is going to share this word. Chris is going to introduce her husband for the message. Good morning, everyone. Um, the blessed life moment this morning is going to be mostly scriptures. So, first of all, Matthew twenty-one twenty-two. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Mark eleven twenty-three. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain. May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Luke 17, 6, the Lord answered, If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, May you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So then, okay, this is Romans ten seventeen, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So in order to move our mountains, we have to have faith. In order to get faith, we have to hear the word and speak it. So today, I'm going to read a few scriptures, confessions, from um, God's Creative Power by uh, Charles Caps, And you can just either close your eyes, kind of say them with me in your heart as I speak these confessions. 
Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me from poverty. Christ has redeemed me from sickness. Christ has redeemed me from spiritual death. For poverty, he has given me wealth. For sickness, he has given me health. For death, he has given me eternal life. It is true to me according to the word of God. I delight myself in the Lord, and he gives me the desires of my heart. I have given, and it is given unto me, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, men give unto my bosom. With what measure I meet, it is measured unto me. I sow bountifully, therefore I reap bountifully. I give cheerfully, and my God has made all grace abound toward me. And I have all sufficiency of all things. There is no lack, for my God supplieth all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, and I do not want, because Jesus was made poor, that I through his poverty might have abundance. For he came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. And I, having received the gift of righteousness, do reign as a king in life by Christ Jesus. The Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, and Abraham's blessings are mine. So I'm going to pray and bless our tithes and offerings this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and that we need to confess your word because that's the truth and in your word is life lord jesus we just bless the tithes and offerings today and those that give in jesus name amen and dan is going to share the message today well, here he is Good job, you know. <laughs> I don't need that one. I was very impressed. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard you speak. <laughs> Get a new job. You know, uh, I just. I just had this observation while we were sitting here. When the Spirit of God is here. There's so much life. And I was almost thinking, you know, am I ADD, like attention deficit disorder? Because it's like when the Holy Spirit comes, all this life kind of comes pouring in. All these, I don't know, good thoughts and different things. And it's like, oh yeah, I got to share a message here. But... Is it attention deficit disorder or is it the life of God? And I think it's the life of God. It's an observation I've never really, really seen before. Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about an assault on the character of God. And it's very subjective. So some of the things I'm going to say, probably you have never experienced or won't experience but I think there's enough in common that it should be something you can relate to and um, deal with it. 
So it would be like the assault on the character of God and the solution would be a title if we had one. Um, I was listening to a man preach the other day and he uh, was getting his master's at a large university and he said um, when I wrote my paper, dissertation I could not say father for God or he I had to refer to him as God <laughs> you know and today we start, we start losing that connection of father God you know when Jesus the disciples came to Jesus they said Jesus teach us how to pray and he said to them, well, okay. Instead of saying, Adonai, creator of heaven and earth, he said, our Father. An introduction into the Father. If we get into the epistles, we see our Father. For this reason, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about... Um, I was wondering if I was backfeeding, but anyways, we see that he is Abba Father. He's our dearest daddy. That's his relationship connection to us. But we've minimized that and we've turned him into God or the great creator. You'll find religion will call him Christ instead of Jesus. And not to just pick on highbrow churches, but you know, in the charismatic movement, Jesus people movement, one of the concepts I had of Jesus was that he was kind of this weak-wristed, you know, don't cause any trouble. He cried at Lazarus's dead, you know, bear, or when Lazarus cried, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, you know, so we all knew that one. Um, you know, he cried over Jerusalem. He, he cried in the garden and he fed food to the guy that was going to betray him. And he was a weak Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen him like that, but uh, a lot of the world does. A lot of the people that I work construction with kind of saw Jesus as kind of like, eh. That isn't who Jesus Christ is. If you really read the Gospels, you find out he wasn't like that. But that's how religion pre, 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 you know, portrayed him. If you saw a picture of Jesus, he was always a skinny little gant thing walking around. You know, it's like, no. But that's how he was portrayed. And then the Holy Spirit, he was always grieved. Oh, yeah. It's like, don't sing the wrong song or you'll grieve the Holy Spirit and the whole thing will go down. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't burp. That just blew the anointing. <laughs> you know. Um, tell me you've been there. You know. Baby cries. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> that shuts her down now. Heaven's lights are, are dimming. Holy Spirit's not like that. 
No. No. He's life. And God the Father, well, he was this cranky old thing up in heaven that was ready to push the button to start the tribulation and really tune us up once we got out of grace. That book of Revelation and that tribulation, my goodness sakes, you know, things are going to get hairy when, when, when things, when the, when the end of grace has, has, has occurred. Well, he's not like that. He's the father. Um, first slide, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You got to take a little bit of time and you got to get into the word and you got to study a little bit of who God is. Today there is really no excuse. I mean, you got with if you've got a computer, good night, you've got access to so much stuff. You know, back in the day it was it was pretty limited. Um, Haley's Bible handbook and Maybe I can, you know, maybe you could get a Jameson Fawcett Brown concordance or commentary. But for the average person, you know, commentaries weren't there. And the other thing I found out about commentaries is most of the time they're you know, kind of like, yeah, they give you an answer, but it's pretty weak. So they're not wrong, see. If you give a weak answer, then it's okay because no one will really argue with it. Plus, I suppose they were writing so much that they probably didn't have time to do tons of research. But anyways, you've got the opportunity to know God through his word. And that's the best way. The next slide would be John 8, 31, 32. Jesus said that you, if, uh, you will know, oh, not you'll know the truth, but if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Wow. The truth sets us free. God's word. I'm going to go into four Bible verses that challenged me early in my Christian walk. I'm going to give them to you in, a, in the, in the chronological order that they, they came to my life. Um, and they were a direct head-on assault on the character of God. But first I have to preface it with what my image of God was when I was growing up. Because my perception of God was already my perception of God my ability to see God was, all, was, was tainted by my concept of God if that makes sense at the ripe old age of 12 and I kind of remember the place it happened I was on my paper route and I was walking down this hallway and it smelled like Lysol and sweet tarts. And he had to walk this long distance to deliver one lousy paper, but you still had to do it. 
And I thought, you know, this must be what it's like to pray. You got to walk down this stinky old hallway and knock on, you know, deliver a paper. And only in this case to pray would be to knock on a door only to be turned down. So I don't think I ever prayed. Don't think it ever happened, you know. But that was part of it. God as a person. I don't know if you remember the uh, Hills Brother coffee can, but it had this guy on there with a turban. I thought, that's what God is, right there, boom. And he's got a big stick. And if I screw up just enough, whack. It did kind of keep me out of a little trouble, but... You know, with a God like that, someone said, would you like to meet Jesus or would you like to be saved? I was like, mm, not really, <laughs> you know. No offense, I've been baptized and confirmed, so I'm good. You know what? It took the wooing of the Holy Spirit close to two and a half to three years. And this was during the how would you say it? The flow of the, the Jesus people movement. I would find myself miraculously at activities or uh, I think there was a, I went to a Bible camp with some friends and I can recall the last Bible camp I went to, I was really convicted. I mean, whew, it was like, whoa. And I still, yeah, you know, didn't want to quite give in because my concept of God was he was not a nice guy. But you get that conviction and you hear, you start hearing, God loves you, God loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. And I go, so finally one night I prayed, Jesus, come into my heart. I didn't know any better, so I prayed that for six months. But I'll tell you one thing. Every time I prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit showed up. And I was just like, I could feel the love of God. So I knew in my experience that God really loved me. I mean, I could feel that. I knew it in, in I suppose when I got born again, the love of God was, was put into my spirit. But my mind still was kind of shaky on it. And that's where we talk about the renewing of the mind, you know. So, uh, I became a Christian and, and um, I went to one of my friends and, and he told me, well, you need to, I think his dad did, he says, you need to start reading the Bible. And you need to start with the Gospel of John and read the epistles. And um, that was good. I read the Gospel of John and I read the epistles and uh, it was good. Then I was reading in Matthew. And uh, this would be the first verse that challenged me. It was Matthew 5.27. I don't know if all oh, we don't even have it up there. Okay. Um, good thing I brought my Bible, right? 
since I'm preaching. <laughs> it says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offendeth thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should perish and be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Wow. So I just became a Christian here. And uh, I went to one of my friends and I said, I don't know if I'll be able to get my driver's license here because I won't have any eyes or hands left. <laughs> and he looked at me, he goes, well, you know, he was a Christian all his life. He goes, I don't think it means exactly literally, you know that? A couple 15-year-olds philosophizing, you know. And I said, well, if it does, we're out of trouble. <laughs> I said, I think I'll backslide and probably not be a Christian, you know. And he goes, no, 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 no. He said, I think it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, he didn't know what the real word was. The word that we use today is uh, hyperbole, where you say, like, you throw someone under the bus or you stab them in the back. Not literal, but, you know, figuratively. And he said, I, I think it has something to do with that. And for the sake of my eyes and my hands and the love I felt for God in my heart, I said, okay, well, we'll buy that. That sounds good, you know. And then I think later on, someone said, well, you know, that's God's attitude towards sin. And I go, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. You know, <laughs> it took decades to finally get an answer that I really was satisfied with. And here's the answer that satisfied my soul. Jesus wasn't a butcher. But he had all of these religious people around him because he starts talking about the law, doesn't he? He said, it is written. He said, yep. Okay. Most of those people had kept the letter of the law, you know, more or less. But Jesus said, I'm going to one-up you. If you think you can trust in the law to get you to heaven, you're wrong. What it comes down to is your heart, and we know your heart is wicked, and you blew it, and you need a Savior. Works will not get you to heaven. And they go, you know what? That actually makes sense. The other ones kind of made sense, but that one really made sense. And then to reinforce that, you know, the, the rich young ruler, you know, he goes, comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus gives him a few examples of, you know, honor thy father and mother and a few other uh, commandments. And he said, Jesus, I've kept those from my youth, you know. Feeling pretty good about himself, like, yep, 
I got her whipped, going to heaven. And then Jesus throws the haymaker, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away, despondent and sad. See, what Jesus was saying is, I don't care how much, how performance-orientated you are, how successful you are in keeping the little laws, you'll never, ever be able to enter the kingdom of, of heaven by your own abilities. Not going to happen. Because if we could, he wouldn't have had to die for us. So that's how we concluded that one. For by grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's his gift. Well, things are going pretty good. And uh, I got baptized with the Holy Spirit and really got a hunger for the Word of God, and I carried my Bible to school. I bought New American Standard. It was like this, that thick. And um, I remember I was sitting in study hall, and I thought, well, I guess I'll read my Bible a little bit, because I was being spiritual, I guess. Probably should have been studying. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize you could study for a test until I was a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> we always got by, though. <laughs> um, anyways... The verse is 2 Kings 2, 23, 24, and 25. Okay. I hope we got it here. 23, actually, yeah. Oh, it's on. All right. Okay, then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths, came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. Go up, bald head. We need 24. <laughs> and he turned back and looked at them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came, um, there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear or mauled 40 and two children of them. And I thought, you know, God, these kids were just messing around. And in my Bible, it said young children. And I could just imagine these little kids going, oh, there's a prophet. Go up, Baldy, go up. And then God, he curses them. And you kill them. What? You're supposed to be love. God is love, right? That's what I've been hearing. We sing 1 Corinthians 13 all the time. And, you know, everyone quotes John God is love, and here you are killing kids because some guy's got, having a bad day. He's just having a bad day, and you don't have to kill kids just because he's having a bad day. Well, here's where the study part comes in. <clears throat> Bethel was the governmental and religious center for the northern tribes. Remember, they split from Judah, and they chose a different religion. They chose Baal worship again. Remember, Elijah had just dealt with all those prophets of Baal, 
under Ahab and Jezebel. But they were right into Baal worship. So they did not want a prophet coming in and messing with their party. Not going to happen. Plus, I got a feeling that they had an ungodly uh, set of government, very corrupt. And they liked that too. And it's like, why are you, you know, we don't want you around here. And I think maybe Elisha was going up to visit some other prophets. So we really don't need you here. Uh, we don't want your advice, don't want you, you just stay away. So more than likely what happened, according to different sources that I've read, is that the leaders set their kids out to probably even kill Elijah and stone him. Now it said young men are young, yeah, like young men. Um, the actual Hebrew word would have meant someone that was probably between the ages of 14 to 20 um, and not the head of a household. So these, this was a gang that might have been very intent on killing him. So it wasn't like, you know, little kindergartners going, go up, Baldy, go up. Well, go up, Baldy, in and of itself is very derogative. If you remember, Elijah ascended, right? So basically, and baldness was like very derogatory. And Elijah was known, this is where it gets a little bit hard to understand exactly what they're saying, but it's like, Elijah was known as the hairy one, and we can kind of see that with John, who was the prototype of, of Elijah in the New Testament. Remember, he wore the camel hair. And basically, they're saying, why don't you die, worthless? And probably they were going to kill him. And Elijah steps back, and he curses them in the name of the Lord, and Two female bear came out and mauled them. What it was, okay, mauled them, there were 42 killed. The number 42 is significant in that, in the Bible we see that and recognize it as God's rightful vengeance. It's like a punishment, it's like a judgment. So they were being judged for walking away from God to Baal and for probably setting up a corrupt system of government. One thing that I thought was interesting, oh, another thing that can't quite prove, but I just, I'll just mention it because I think it's interesting. Well, I think I've already kind of mentioned it really, is that 42 has a lot to do with governmental and religious um, the governmental, well, kind of the, 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 the systems. And those systems were in place. And it's like God killed those systems. That one can't be proven as easily, but linguistic people that get in and look at syntax and all this in the, in the scriptures have mentioned this. Um, so basically, the leaders lost their kids because of the rebellion to God. And one that I've never found in any commentaries or anything, but I think is kind of a side point and it's very interesting is that 
it was almost like Elijah was prophesying to them their destruction. And if you, if you kind of understand a little bit about the Old Testament, you know that the northern kingdoms fell first to the Assyrians. So um, a lot of interesting stuff there. And you know what? I didn't find that answer out right away. But I had to keep digging, had to keep looking. You might come into things that you go, I don't get it. Keep digging, keep looking, keep studying. So basically, that one I kind of call like, you walked away from God and you didn't want to hear his, his word. You, you pretty much told the prophets, quiet. God, we're happy with Baal worship and um, we don't need you. Well, the next one occurred when I got to Bible school. Thank God, because this one really, really messed me up. It's Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18. It's kind of fun. You look around, all right. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. And then, um, I probably better go to it. I think we need 18 there. Um, But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the otherites, the Jebusites, <laughs> as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. That they teach you not to do after all the of all their abominations which they have done unto the gods. So so should ye sin against the Lord your God. In other words, they didn't, he didn't want them to get, he didn't want them to learn their ways. Um, we got it up there. Yeah, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods. And you sin against the Lord your God. Um, yeah, I was having devotions one morning in the chapel. About five o'clock in the morning, and I came across that verse. This was an assault on the, on the character of God because why, God, are you killing little kids and puppies and kittens and little kid goats? That doesn't sound right. What is wrong? <laughs> you know, I'm being honest. I mean, a lot of you probably say, I don't know. It's the way it is. But it bothered me. I mean, it really bugged me. That kind of bothered me. It really bo I didn't say nothing to anyone because I was spiritual, you know. <laughs> but it bugged me. And fortunately, we were doing a survey of uh, Genesis. And uh, we were, I think we were in Genesis 15. And thank God <laughs> we were there because I remember... 
Josiah would maybe, he, they don't have T.A. Hagrid. He was the founder, one of the founders. But he was teaching the class and he, he was talking about Genesis 15 where when the iniquities of the Amorites are full, you know, then God would judge them. And um, basically, these people that lived in the promised land had 400 years to repent. But instead of repenting, they, what they did is they grew really, they waxed bold or big into uh, demon worship is really what it comes down to. And it was horrific, very bad situation. And this was God's inherited land to them. So, sitting back and analyzing that a little bit, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God can determine where his people should live. And he chose Israel. Not only did he choose it for that period of time, if you recall in Revelation, it talks about the New Jerusalem in that location. That's God's spot. So it's kind of like the enemy comes in, the old devil comes in with all these nasties, and they go into the land. They corrupt the people, and you got this mess. It's like a, it's like a boil. It's a mess. I mean, one commentator said, the only, the only thing more wicked than the Canaanites were their gods. And I mean, we're talking every kind of atrocity you can even imagine, and some you can't. God said, when their iniquity is full, it took 400 years for him to bring Israel down into Egypt to get the number large enough so that they could actually occupy the land. A lot of people think Egypt was a mistake. It wasn't. It was preparation. They became strong enough to occupy the land that was 400 years they came into the land and the part that seems weird is they killed everything to a point. You know, Rahab survived. She repented before. So she <laughs> but anyways, I thought, why in the world did he kill animals? The reason was, is this was to be executed as a judgment of God in the sovereign plan of God, these animals were not to be taken because it wasn't done as a result of plunder. They didn't go in there to kill them to take their stuff. They, came, they went in there to kill everything as a judgment. Besides that, I think probably some of the animals might have been demon-possessed. I don't know. But uh, some of you laugh, and you've got horses like that, I bet, right? You know? <laughs> Uh, but also, one of the other things that I think is probably more important is that the Messiah, the seed spoken of in, Galatia, in uh, Genesis 3.15, that the seed would crush the head, you know? Jesus, without the, the Middle East, without that chunk of land and those people there, 
the whole lineage of Jesus could have been sabotaged and God would have had to find another way. So I really believe that was God's plan. Um, an interesting thing. And I think we'll be able to get one more in, the last one, is you're going to find Baal worship. Baal worship was prevalent in Bethel, the one we just talked about. It's prevalent here, and it's also prevalent in the, second, in the last one we'll be talking about. Um, I think Baal worship is probably around today in some form or fashion. The reason I don't think it's as bad today is because of the church and the Holy Spirit on the earth. So we kind of conquered that one. We know that Jesus had to come. God had a plan. Everything was set in place. The people could have moved out. They knew. I mean, good night. They watched the Red Sea. They had 40 years. They watched that Red Sea open and the strongest army in the world be destroyed. They heard about the Bedouins watching the Israelites out in the desert. They heard about Jordan opening. They could have moved on because they knew that's where they were coming. The next one was 2 Samuel 6, 6 through 8. Well, uh, and when they came to Nachon's threshing floor, Ezra put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. We got eight. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Ezra, and God struck him, struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the, of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. This was probably the last one I remember that really irritated me. I was sitting in the library, again at Bible school, and I think, I don't know if we were studying Samuel or what, but I came across that and... I thought, you know, God, that's kind of a dirty thing. That the guy just basically, you know, he's just trying to study that, and you killed him. And not only am I a little frustrated with you, but David's frustrated with you too. And again, we got to study things out. We have to learn what, what was going on here. If I was going to give the short version of this, I'd say, Uzzah knew what to do and didn't do it. And it cost him his life. David didn't know what to do. And he, got, and he got mad at God. But he also had enough sense to not be too, too mad at God. Because that, you, know, you don't do that. So a little background. You have to go back into 1 Samuel 6th chapter. You got a little war going on with the Philistines. In Israel. I believe Samuel was the judge. Israel went out and lost 400 people, and things weren't looking good. They were in apostasy a little bit. They weren't really worshiping God. And so they decided what we need to do is we need to go get that Ark of the Covenant that no one's paid attention to for decades. And we need to march that thing out there, and we'll tune up the Philistines. Our lucky charm. Well, they did that. 
And they really got slaughtered, and the Philistines captured the ark. So the uh, Philistines were kind of happy about this. Yay, we got the ark. Look at this. Woo. You know, so they brought it to Ashdoth, I think, the temple of Ashdoth, or the city of Ashdoth, which would have been one of Baal's wives. Put it in the temple near Dagon. And lo and behold, Dagon was in the morning. So they set him up, dusted him off, maybe a little earthquake, who knows, you know. The next day his head was gone and his arms were gone. And people started getting, you know, I think in the King James it said hemorrhoids, but it actually it was boils. I kind of thought hemorrhoids were kind of funny, but they got, they got, they got boils and rats. And so they weren't fools. They decided we'll share so they brought it over to another Philistine city, and they got sick. And this went on for about seven months, and they said, no, <laughs> we'll give it back. So they, they put it on an ox cart, and they sent it to, um, well, sent it back to Israel. And um, it ended up at Obed, or not Obedina, oh, not Obed, <laughs> Obed, Obed, <laughs> I uh, didn't end up there right away. But anyways, the sons of um, Abinadad. It ended up at Abinadad's house. And um, Abinadad was a Levite. And he knew specifically how to treat the ark and how to handle it. Uzzah and Ahio, and I think he had one other son, were all there. And they were decades around the ark. They understood the ark. They were trained on what to do with this ark. And um, David, okay, now we got that part of the story. David had just, you know, become king, and he wanted to put it, bring everything into Jerusalem. And he was a man after God's own heart. He wanted to bring the ark into Jerusalem. He found out where it was. And he said, we need to bring that ark back. And so he went out there and, uh, you know, said, we need the ark in Jerusalem. They, they agreed, you know, yeah, let's, let's get it here. So they loaded it on an ox cart. And they were on their way and Uzzah died in front of his brother, Ohio. The rest of the story is, there was a specific way to handle the ark. You were to put poles through the, through the, the, the two ends. Four Levites were to carry it, and um, it was supposed to be moved that way. That's what God told them in Numbers. But chances are that Uzzah thought, we don't know who's going to carry that thing, and it weighs about 183 pounds, and Jerusalem's 10 miles away. Maybe we'll just put that thing on an ox cart and save a little time. Let's be efficient. We don't want to waste God's time or resources. Well, the end result was it violated what he knew to do. He knew there had to be poles in the, in, in the ark that were for the, through the rings. He knew 
four Levites had to carry it from the house of uh, Korah. He knew these things. David didn't. So imagine this. You got this ox cart going down the road with the oxen, and David's got this big party in front of it. I mean, they're blowing their, 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 their trumpets and, you know, whipping the tambourines, and they're putting on this big show, and then the guy dies. You know, it's like, oh, man, anticlimactic. And then they didn't know what to do, so they kind of left, I think it was they left it at Obed-Edom, Obed-Edom's house, <laughs> and he prospered, did well. Then he came back and got it three months later. Short and long of the story is, if you know what to do, and you don't do it, and you try to circumvent God's way of doing it, you're going to get in trouble. And um, basically, that kind of ended that one. And you know, after that, I didn't really have a lot of scriptures that challenged the character of God. But at, the, at that point in my life, there was, it was within about a four-year span there was always a lot of challenge because I think sometimes I still reverted back to God isn't really that nice. Kind of mean sometimes. But I can tell you today that God loves you. He loves me. And even more important, God likes you. He, he does. He likes to spend time with you. Um, I'll close with this real quick. Uh, one of my aunts was, she was an alcoholic. And when she drank, she did a good job of it. Then she got born again. And she did a good job of that. In, then after she got born again, the rest of the family was a little bit concerned because she would walk around the house and she would talk to God. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, she thinks she's so good. She talks. She talks to Jesus all the time in her house. That's just wrong, I tell you. But she didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> the only thing I think that was kind of interesting was in her 90s, she would get on a treadmill and she'd run to Buck Owens. He lived to be 97, by the way. I got a tiger by the tail. It's plain to see, you know. Most of you don't know Buck Owens. <laughs> but I was challenged by something in her life, and that was she had a relationship with God where she could walk around the house and talk to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And she had coffee with him. And if you, you know what? I mean, she went from a life that was a disaster into doing pretty good. You live to be 97 and you pretty much die at home? That's not bad. But she wasn't broke. God blessed her. God liked her. God likes you. God wants to sit down and have coffee with you. He cares about you. He's good. And what you need to do, if you've got any questions, but even if you don't have questions, start looking at the New Testament, a testament about who he is what he's done for you, and just enjoy his presence. Steve, I'm going to let, I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay.
Father, we thank you that you know the number of hairs on our head. You are intimately connected to us. And Lord, we are your creation. We are your workmanship in Christ Jesus. One person said, we're your poetry. You've written us out. Lord, in, in Psalms 139, it says, you know, when we get up, when we sit down, you know our thoughts from afar. Lord, you know every molecule in our body, you know every experience we had and, and will have probably. And you've chosen to love us and accept us. And uh, in a grandiose manner, you've given yourself for us. And on top of that, you being the God of the universe, want to sit and, as it were, have a cup of coffee with us. You're our counselor. You're our standby. You're our best friend. You're our Lord. You're God Almighty. We thank you this morning. Pray that the words that need to be remembered are remembered and the ones that don't can be forgotten. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for sharing that teaching gift with us. That's so good. Um, we've got a few announcements here, and then we're going to cut the live stream, and we have just a very brief meeting we have to have, and I'll tell you about that a little more in a moment here. But um, with the special offering for the lights, I think we'll have one. This is probably the last Sunday that we'll be sharing about that. You can still give, though. Just make note that you'd like it go for a light. It's a special offering there. Um, and here in the sanctuary. We have youth group meets on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. You can talk to Peter and Linnea Coffin about that. They're here somewhere, I believe. Um, so you can... And then also on Wednesday nights, we have what we call Kairos Gathering. That's at 6.30, right here in the sanctuary. My brother Tim and Kathy are leading the way with that meeting. That's on Wednesday night. And then on Easter, Resurrection Day, coming up, we're going to be having service, of course. That's at 10 o'clock, but we're going to have Easter breakfast at from 8.30 to 9.30. Dane is going to lead the way with that. Dane Johnson once again. And uh, the men are going to be leading the way with him and uh, preparing it and serving it that Sunday morning. Easter day. And cleaning up, Joyce says. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's part of it, isn't it? So, we're looking forward to that uh, so much. Um, also, we're going to be having a, dra a special drama, Easter drama, uh, with a team of how many people are in that? Ten people? And actually, we were preparing it a year ago already. They were ready to give it a year ago, but it didn't happen. But uh, it's going to happen this year, although you will need to be here to see it, though, because... Um, that we won't be able to live stream for a few different reasons. Um, but we're looking forward to that. And then 
Also, um, a U.S. Constitution class, you can talk to Shirley Walker about that. That's going to, there are three sessions now, there was quite a response. And so, if you'd like to learn about our U.S. Constitution, uh, you can talk to Shirley Walker. There is, I want to, I need to read this one more time here. Special TCC meeting, we will have a brief meeting after church on Sunday, March 14, to confirm the deed transferals of two TCC properties to buyers. The properties were given to us by the late Kelly Gilman over 16 years ago. And according to Minnesota law, a congregation's affirmation is needed for the property deed transferals. So that's what we're going to do in just a moment here. But also I want to mention there will be coffee time today. And God is going to drink coffee with us, Dan, I believe. He's going to be there with us. And uh, Jeff, I was just wondering with the mound, with getting the cover off, could you use some help with that? If you, if you, uh, we need to get the cover off of the mound. And so maybe you could just talk to Jeff, Jeff, uh, just kind of leading the way with getting that off of there, but just talk to him. I'm sure it goes easier with more hands. And then I believe there's, is there food today here or is that? Okay, we'll get that another time. All right. I believe now we can cut, we'll cut the live stream and we'll just transition right into this. What I, um...